What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. Restoration Church, what's happening? Are you ready for another awesome week of Jesus? And I hope you are. I hope you are buckled in and ready to go because we are sort of going to hit the ground running today. Uh, not not 100% because otherwise I would have just started in with scripture and we'd have been halfway done by now. But uh, we don't have, we're not doing the typical, I'm going to share stories, set the scene, make it all, like get it all set up, make sure that we've got a good understanding of where we're heading with the scripture, what's happening in the background. Do you want to know why? Because we're doing part two of the same sermon that we did last week. This, this is like the sequel, you know, when there's not enough, like uh, when, they, when they made three Hobbit movies out of, out of one book. Uh, same, same kind of deal. All right, same thing. Or to put it more recently, we've got volume one of Stranger Things and then volume two of Stranger Things season four. All season four, but two separate installments. You got volume one and volume two. So this is volume two of the sermon that we were preaching last week on defending the gospel at all costs. Now, just to recap what was going on last week, because sometimes we need those reminders. I don't remember what happened yesterday. So last week, what we read in Galatians 2, um, in 11 through 14 was Paul's giving giving an example of his buddy Peter uh, being led astray, letting legalizers come in and change the narrative of who is saved and who's not. Paul started, Paul Peter started acting acting like a hypocrite, and uh, Paul called him out right to his face. He called him, uh, he basically called him and all the other Jews in that room. A, a hypocrite to their face. He called them out publicly because it was something public that was happening. To recap, uh, it was something that happened in Antioch, which is a church that Paul and Barnabas planted, uh, they, if, and they had been there for over a year. Peter shows up uh, at, at an agape fest, uh, feast, festival, festival, ooh, festival, I like that. It's a potluck where they're bringing a dish to pass, which we are having this weekend. If you're watching this right now, you're missing the potluck. It's, it's, it, I, it, I don't know what to tell you about that. I'm sorry. We're doing a work day at Right Brain Brewery today, and that's where we have our services. We're having a potluck today. We're having all sorts of good stuff, so I'm sorry if you missed it. Um, I guess you should have been here in person, but uh, they're having a potluck in Antioch, and, and, and Peter's sitting down with the Gentiles and the Jews. They're all hanging out together. They're having pork. They're having lobster, They're having, which would be the best, hands down, the best potluck ever. 
if we could have some lobster, some pork, you know, some bacon, all of that would be wonderful. Anyway, so they're having their potluck. Some men from James come in from Jerusalem that were uh, legalizers. They were sort of okay with not having to have Jews be circumcised, but they were definitely not okay with Peter eating with Gentiles. They're like, okay, we, we gave on that, but we're not giving on this. And Peter knew better, right? He knew better. He had had that vision from God. He went and visited a guy named Cornelius, and, uh, and, and who was a Gentile. The Holy Spirit came on them, and he's like, who am I to, to stop that from happening? And so he, Peter knew better. That happened a while ago. Peter knew better, um, and so 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 he gets called out by the Jewish people coming up, the legalizers, and so he removes himself from the Gentiles, pretends that they're not even Christians to sit with the Jews. Paul shows up. He's like, "What the heck is going on here? There's not going to be any division about this. The cross of Jesus Christ. He is enough for us. He paid it all for us. This is ridiculous. I only follow Jesus. And then he's going to continue in that defense in these next few verses. We're going to be in Galatians 2, uh, verses 15 through 21. Uh, So through the end of chapter 2 today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. Find yourselves there in... um, in, in Galatians chapter 2, we're going to spend some time there. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but a bulk of it is going to be right there. So that's what's happened in 11 through 14. And now Paul is continuing the discussion in verse 15. So church, let's dive right in, all right? Uh, here we are in verse 15. This is Paul, again, continuing the conversation that he was talking about with Peter. He's relaying it to the Gentile, or Gentiles, to the Galatians, who were Gentiles, he said, some of them. Uh, he, he, he's relating it to, um, to the, relaying it, excuse me, to the Galatians. Here's what I did with Peter. I've fought against this before, uh, and now we're fighting it against it again. All right, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's hilarious. We're Jewish people by birth, all right? We're not those Gentile sinners. I don't know. I think that's great. We're not going to stop there because we've got a lot to get through today. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, also, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified Paul is telling Peter, buddy, we've done this before. We've gone through this. We are Jewish people. We're not like the Gentile sinners who've never even followed the law before. We've followed the law. And look it, we're in the exact same place as the Gentiles are. Sinners that need Jesus Christ. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Peter, we've done this before. We've tried being justified by the works of the law. It doesn't work. That's why Jesus came in. So we also believed in Jesus Christ. Not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I love that word justified. Justified is a is a legal term here. It, it, it's to have a favorable judgment. Now, in order to have a favorable judgment before God, there's a couple of things that need to happen. We need to have atonement and propitiation. 
That's a very fun and sometimes difficult word to say. Why don't you say it with me, all right? One, two, three. Propitiation, okay? We need atonement and we need propitiation. Now, if there is uh, to be a, a, a favorable judgment, we need those two things to happen, all right? So atonement is is to, to make two parties one, to, to, to reconcile things, to make things better, to... to, to um, Reconcile a relationship, atonement, uh, at one meant, right? Atonement, at one meant, at one. We're one together. And then there's uh, propitiation, which is appeasement. Uh, which is, which is, um, there, there's, there's, there's a coming together, there's appeasement, there's a payment of the penalty. The propitiation, propitiation is the appeasement of the penalty. So we have to have those two things taken care of, and it has to be done righteously, okay? So let's just do a little, uh, th this is what we're talking about when it means justification, um, th that legal term of justification before God, all right? So th the analogy is, let's say uh, I'm driving downtown Traverse City. And I, um, I, I, I refuse to pay the incredible fees to park anywhere downtown. I refuse to pay by the meter. If I'm working downtown, I don't feel like I also need to, you know, and I'm, and I'm having coffee, I'm doing whatever, I'm having a lunch. You know what I don't need to do is pay for parking. So uh, guess what? I don't pay for parking. This is all hypothetical, all right? Um, I, I'm not paying for my parking. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and, and I start getting parking tickets, right? And so I'm getting all of these parking tickets. I do it for, I don't know, a couple of years. How long can you go uh, without paying a parking ticket before you get caught in, and get in trouble? I don't know how long it is. Let's just pretend it's two years. So every day for two years, I'm not paying my parking tickets. And I keep getting them over and over and over again. And, and I just throw them in the car, whatever. Like, I don't care eventually I'm going to go before the judge, right? Now I can say that I, I, let's, let's pretend I know the mayor, like I'm the mayor of Traverse City. I don't even know who it is, but let's just pretend I know him. He's a good friend of mine. Okay. And, and so I go to, to, to before the judge, I'm smiling because I'm like, I, I know the mayor. There's obviously nothing that's going to happen to me. So I go before the judge. Now for him to be the judge, to be a righteous judge, the parking tickets have to be paid, right? An unrighteous judge would let me walk off scot-free and, and not make me have to pay any parking ticket, even if I'm guilty of the infractions. Uh, the, 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 um, the, the judge would be an unrighteous judge. He wouldn't be doing what was right. It would not be the right thing to do for him to let me off and not make me pay any of the parking tickets. So a righteous judge is going to make me take the parking ticket and, and, and it has to be paid somehow. Now, this is where we get into it. Atonement is to make the two parties one, me and the park meter maid person, all right? So meter maid and I have a difference and, and we can't get along. So we need somebody to come in to reconcile those things between us at one mint, atonement. And so what if the judge was just like, you know what? I'll pay it. I'll pay whatever the parking ticket is. Those fees, however many that is, thousands of dollars, I'm going to pay that. That is the appeasement. Paying the penalty is our appeasement, is our propitiation. 
and we are justified before God, even though we have, there's a divide between us. There's a problem because there's a divide between God and man. We have done things. We have entered into uh, a covenant with the flesh and, and we have, um, disregarded God. And so what's happened is there is now a divide between God and us. It happened way back in the beginning in the garden. And uh, they created this divide where there needed to be atonement and there needed to be propitiation. All right. And so uh, to, to make us one, we needed a blood sacrifice to make it one. Now we could use a bull, we could use um, a, a, a bird, there was a few things, a lamb that we could use in order to atone for our sin. Uh, and, and, um, and that was how it was done for a very long time. The law required death. The law required blood in order to, or the, the wages of sin is death. And the, the, I should just stop right now because I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, blood sacrifice is necessary. The wages of sin is death. Blood needed to be spilled for us to uh, not have, to pay that penalty. And that's where Jesus came in. There were rules set in place. We were doing all the rules. We being Jewish people, and that wasn't enough. And that's what Paul is saying here to Peter as well. Guys, we've tried this so many times before. And we have a propitiation for our sin. And that is Jesus Christ. That's the payment for our sin. Jesus came down and he paid the ultimate penalty for our sin. So he is the propitiation for our sin. For He is in our place. He takes our place. And he is now the one who has atoned us to make us at one with God because of what Jesus did, the propitiation of Jesus Christ. I spent way too much time on that, but um, I got to keep going. Uh, but I have a couple more things to say. So uh, we are, we are because of all that, we are now justified before God because of his atonement and the propitiation of our sin. We are now justified before God, not by our works, but by what Jesus did. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. And I hope you're still with me to put it in. Um, or, or Let me go on to another phrase here, because this justification means that we believe into Christ. This is not just an approval of fact. This is a commitment to him. Uh, when it says in verse 16 that, um, uh, let's see, it says, so we also have believed in Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Anytime it's saying about that, uh, but through faith in Jesus Christ, it's believing into Christ. It, it, it's a it's a commitment. It's running towards Him. This isn't just theoretical. Like I'm believing into Christ. My my commitment has action behind it. It's not just head knowledge. It's 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 going forward with that knowledge, and now it changes who I am. I am believing into Christ, which is another way to say that. Um, so it doesn't matter, Jewish people, Gentile people, we all need Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here to Peter. Now, to, to just one more, and we'll put this to bed. Uh, I need to believe in Christ. It's a commitment, not just to the approval of fact, but it's from the head all the way to the heart. A lot of us know who Jesus is and, and have a knowledge of who Jesus is, but it hasn't 
pierced our hearts. It hasn't moved us to change the way that we live our lives. And that's a really sad thing. I mean, um, I could say that I'm a runner because I know about running. I could go to the store even and buy all of the things that I would need to buy in order to to become, uh, in order to look the part of a runner. I can get the running gear. I can get the super high shorts. I don't know why runners need to wear those. I can, um, I, I don't know what else. I can get the right shoes. Uh, I can make sure that I, I'm ready in all weather for all types of running. But if I never get off the couch and actually start running, I'm not really a runner, am I? I have knowledge of running. I know what it means to run, but I haven't committed to running. It's the same thing. Paul is saying, listen, we've tried the works thing, but now we need to put on Jesus Christ. He needs to be the only commitment for us, just like you would be as a runner. Like, if you're going to be a runner, guess what it means? Like, it means you run. If somebody were to ask me, Brian, how many, how many marathons have you done? Zero. Zero marathons, actually. Okay, how many, how many half marathons have you done? Uh, also zero. Okay, well, what about a 5K? Yep, that'd be a zero. So, do you run? No. I just like the gear. Do you see what I mean? Okay, I hope you do because we got to keep going. Uh, I keep saying that. All right, verse 17. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not! Paul is is playing the devil's advocate here for the for the men from from James that were that were here. Okay, so remember the room he was speaking to was split into two groups. He's recounting all this to the Galatians about that fateful potluck where he was talking about this. So we have to remember he's splitting the room into two groups. There's the Gentiles on one side, the Jewish people on the other, and he is uh, he he's got to discuss all of it. And so he's talking to Paul, or to, he's talking to Peter, and he's talking about all of these things. And then he looks over at the the Jewish people the legalizers, and he's saying, okay, I see where their, their, where their brain is going with this. So he addresses it before they can even raise their hand and start to say something. He's like, uh, listen, all right, I get what you're saying. Um, how can you be accepted by God and still struggle with sin? How, are, are you saying that uh, if you follow Jesus in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, so if you're saying that it's faith alone through Christ alone, all that kind of stuff, like we are justified before Jesus and Jesus alone by his blood and we're still sinners, does that mean that he is now a servant of sin? We're making Jesus a servant of sin because we're not any different? Does that mean that Jesus is okay with our sin because we're still sinners? No. See, the legalizer's argument here is going to be like, at least we're trying to help Jesus out here. At least we're not trying to continue in our sin. And here's the thing, you guys. This was our point from last week, and it carries over to this week. The, 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 the legalizers, the men from, from James, didn't believe that Jesus was enough for them. And that's the heart, that's the root issue with legalism, is we don't believe that Jesus is enough. Now, that's that main point. Jesus is enough for me. See, legalism believes that I can be more right with God, that I can do more to be more right. If I obey all of those commands, then God is going to love me more, right? If I'm, a, if I'm a legalizer, I think, oh, if I don't do those sorts of things, if I don't have tattoos, if I don't drink alcohol, if I don't go to the movies, if I don't play cards on Sunday, if I don't, um, if, if I don't use foul language, if I don't dot, 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 
then Jesus is going to love me more. Then God is going to love me more. Legalism believes that you can be more right with God. And true freedom is saying, I can't do anything right before God. There's no justification on my part. There's no atonement on my part. There's no propitiation on my part. It's all on him. Legalism says that you can be more right with God. And Jesus says, no, you can't. I'm the only way that you can be right with God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And aren't we thankful for that this morning? Brennan Manning, or evening or afternoon, whatever time it is that you're, you're, you're watching this or listening to this. Brennan Manning, the famous uh, author and, and pastor, I don't know if famous is the right word, but he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And I've shared this before. Uh, one of his quotes is, is that God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, because you'll never be as you should be. We're never going to be as we should be. We're never going to be perfect before God. And that's fine because God loves you exactly the way you are. Do you believe that this morning? We should be so thankful. We should be so thankful that God loves us exactly the way we are. We'll get to that in just a little bit more. Let's keep going though. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a, 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 a transgressor. Listen, it's through Jesus Christ alone. And, and, and I know we're going to keep on sinning. I know we're going to do things. And, and I think Paul is addressing two people here. He's addressing both the Gentiles and the, and the Jewish people, the, the, the legalizers. Verse 18 basically is we are turning our back on Jesus on his sacrifice. If we rebuild whatever it is that we're tearing down, we are turning our back on Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, it, it, it's through works-based righteousness. Um, for, for those who are, who are trying to do legalism and, and trying to, to be righteous before God through our works, uh, if I rebuild that bridge, if I go back, like he, what he's saying here is, if you go back to trying to keep the law, if you go back to trying to uh, adhere to all of the 600 some odd laws that were in there, if you try to do that, you are, and you're trying to justify yourself through your own works, saying, I can help out here. I can be a part of this. I can help be a part of the solution. I've turned my back on Jesus and I'm continually sinning because I believe that I can continue to add to this. If I start to rebuild what I've already torn down, what Jesus has already done away with, he's done away with the law. He's, about, he, he's fulfilled it. It's done. It's over. If we now keep going back and try to build that back up, we are turning our back on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And now if we go back to a lifestyle of sin, see, this is where it matters. And we're going to get into this later on in a, in a few weeks. Um, but if I have turned my back on sin and I'm, and, 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 and I'm following Jesus, and then at some point I turn my back on Jesus and go back to a lifestyle of sin, if I start rebuilding what I tore down, this lifestyle of sin, and I say, thanks for the gift, forgiveness, and then I turn back, what I'm saying is, 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 is your work doesn't satisfy me, Jesus. And I'm going to turn around and start going a different way. We keep turning our backs on sin or on Jesus. I wish we would turn our backs on sin. 
or we're, we're turning our back on Jesus and going more for works-based righteousness, saying, thanks for what you did, but your work isn't enough. So is Jesus enough for you? He makes all the difference in the world, Jesus does. Have you learned to accept it? Just this week, this verse reminded me of this, just this week, a few days ago, I, um, I went on a field trip with my daughter, Lila, and uh, we went out on, on Sutton's Bay, which is up north of Traverse City a little ways, for those of you that aren't from around here. And uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful bay, goes out to Lake Michigan. It's huge. And uh, we got to go on this huge sailboat. Uh, and, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, but I was kind of confused because um, when we were going out to, to get out on the water and they were doing a whole bunch of learning stuff, learning about the lake, learning about things that are in the lake, doing experiments, a lot of cool stuff as a kid that I wish that I could have done at, at when, when I was a kid too, but I didn't have a cool place like this. So we're out there on the, on the water and, and we're heading out. And, 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 and as we're heading out into the water, um, I'm noticing that uh, the sails aren't down or up. I guess they would be up. The sails were down. They weren't up. It's like, well, then how are we moving if, if we're, we have, there's a motor, there's an engine on board, which was great. It got us to exactly to where we needed to be. And then about halfway through the, the, the field trip, um, then we started hoisting up the, the sails. We put up the sails so that we could sail, we could use the wind and whatever. And do you know how much work it took to try to get those sails up? It took five or six people, grown people, to get every sail up. And then the kids were kind of helping. They were trying to help. It was so much work. They, they had used the engine to get to where they needed to go, and then they started using the sails. It's the same thing for you and me. We start, we, we believe in Jesus, we start going with him, he's the engine, and then at some point we turn around and we're like, no, I gotta do my own work here. Let me start, uh, let me start helping here. We've got the engine. Why don't, why not just use the engine? Like, like doing anything except going with Jesus, committing to Jesus is like, abandoning the engine and going with the sails. It's not going to get you as far. It's not going to get you there faster. It's not going to be any better in any sort of way. <laughs> Why do people sail? <laughs> like we've created engines that help us get from point A to point B much faster and without having to, to always be checking our course, checking this, checking that. Like you just steer the boat. That's all you got to do. I don't know. But do you see what I mean? Like, as Christians, especially, we like to, to say, thanks, Jesus, for what you did, and then, and, that, and then we'll take it from here. That's, that's what he's saying. Like, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I'm still, I'm, I'm using my own workspace thing. And that's not okay. Let's keep going. Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. You've probably heard this verse before. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a lot to unpack right here, and we're going to do our very best to do that in the time that we have left. I'm not sure how much we're going to get through that, to be honest with you. So first things first, Paul had to die to the law in order to live for Christ. Paul had to die. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. 
so that I might live to God. We can't live for both things. We can't live for the law and for God. It's got to be one or the other. We can't live for a lifestyle that we've had in the past and live for God. It's got to be one or the other. It can't be both. We have to die to something. Now, which thing are we going to die to? What are we dying to? Are, are, are we dying to ourselves or are we trying to build ourselves back? Are, are we trying to fulfill ourselves even more? Now, I don't want to get too graphic, but I, I understand what, uh, because I've got nurse friends who have told me that are in hospice care, man, the end of life isn't, isn't the greatest thing in the world. Um, th- people fight death. And there's no other way to describe it. Like the only way a lot of people will pass away, uh, and I don't want to get morbid. I'm just, well, I'll just cover it briefly, and then we'll keep going. The only way for a lot of these hospice nurses to to finally uh, let their clients um, pass on is is to give them enough drugs to make them comfortable, because death comes for everyone. And in those last moments, you fight, you fight, you fight hard for death until you can get comfortable, and then. Once you get comfortable, you breathe your last, and then you're done. But we fight so hard at the end. And anytime we have sin in our lives, anytime we have a lifestyle in our lives that we're trying to, to, to put to death, Paul is very graphic on this, of putting this to death, um, it wants to fight back. Whatever that sin is. Do you ever notice that when you get on these super high, like a spiritual high, all of a sudden you have that downward slope. Uh, and then sometimes it seems like you go further down than you ever thought you would have before. You have the super spiritual high and then you know, I'm putting to death all of these things. And then, and then, and then it starts fighting back and you're like, man, now I'm three steps back. It seems like, and I can't get any way forward. That's because your sin, the lifestyle that we were in my sin and the life lifestyle that I was in before wants to keep living. It wants to keep living. But we have to be ruthless about this. Like Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have to put to death. And that can be a gruesome term. He's saying I'm crucified with Christ. It has to be put to death. There's no other way around it. You don't get to keep your previous lifestyle as a little pet, something you get to keep around, because anytime you keep something around, it just keeps getting worse. We shared this over and over and over again. We've talked about it over, uh, and I'm going to talk about it again. I didn't have it in my notes, but I'm going to. Remember, we were going through the Genesis study, and uh, we we're talking about Lot and how Lot was um, by Sodom and Gomorrah. He he put he he saw the green fields. He was like, you know what? Uh, they had to split up. Abraham and Lot had to split up. So Lot took the green fields. Abraham took the other half. And then we come and re- revisit Lot later on. And he's at the city gates. First he was just close to the city gates. Then he's actually by the city gates. And then the next thing you know, he's actually in the city. He's a he's a he's a he's an official at the city, and he's making decisions. All of that kind of stuff. He is so deep into into the city that he doesn't even want to leave, even if it's going to kill his family. 
man, that's the way that sin works. First, we just, we, we, we entertain it. Anytime we entertain sin, it's going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Then we're going to just be, okay, I'm not actually going to sin. I'm going to be sin adjacent, right? I'm just going to sit by sin. I'm going to, I'm going to just call sin and then hang up and hope that they didn't know it was me. And then pretty soon you're talking to it. Then pretty soon you're living with it. Then pretty soon you're just engulfed in it. Paul says we have to be ruthless and die to ourselves. Otherwise, we'll keep replacing it with something or someone else. We can't live for both God and that thing. We can't live for, for God and, and whatever lifestyle it is that we're holding on to or a works-based lifestyle. We have to put them to death. A little exercise sometimes I do is, is say that um, I, I put my name in, in place of where Paul says I. So it says, Brian has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Brian who lives, but Christ who lives in Brian. And the life Brian now lives in the flesh, Brian lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. It's like I was on that cross with Jesus. It's no longer I who live but Jesus lives in me. I, I put my previous life to death. When Jesus died on the cross, I died with him. It's, a, it's actually a, a, a perfect, perfect tense, um, which means that uh, it, it um, let me try to say this right. It's an action that was completed in the past with the results that are continuing in the present. That's what the perfect tense means. And when Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ, uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's saying that uh, because of what Jesus did, I'm, um, I'm in the condition of being crucified. It's the perfect tense. Because of that, now this. I am crucified. The, the, it, it's a perfect tense. The passive, and he uses two things here, okay? Um, one is called the passive voice, and I wrote this down, so I'm going to look at my notes, which is the, um, the, the subject is the recipient of the action. Okay, so I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I am a passive recipient of the action that's gone on. Um, so, uh, and, and then it's an indicative mood, which means just a, a statement of fact. Okay, so we've got those two things happening, a passive voice and an indicative mood in this sentence. And so it, basically it's saying this is a statement of fact. This really happened to me. So what Paul is saying here and what we can say too is I have already been crucified by God with Christ. God crucified me and I didn't do it myself. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the perfect tense. Like I, I was crucified with Christ. When he died, I died with him. When he died, my sin died with him. When he died, all of my past sin died with him. When he died, all of my future sin died with him. When, when, when he died, all of my present sin died with him. And guess what? When he was buried in the tomb, I was, Brian was buried in the tomb with Christ. My sin was buried in the tomb with Christ, past, present, and future. And then the best part, when Jesus rose again, which is why this is so important, church, to realize that he rose again, that Jesus is alive today, is because when he rose from the tomb, I 
arose and went out of the tomb with him. My sin stayed, but I rose with Jesus out of that tomb, victorious. Because Jesus is victorious, I am victorious. It's a perfect tense because of something that happened then is now continually happening today. It's the perfect tense. So when, when we say that I have been crucified with Christ, it's saying all of me, there's no part of Brian left. It's now only Jesus, not Jesus and Brian. It's only Jesus. So that when you see me, you see Jesus. Is that true, Christian? And then I want to touch briefly on this last part of the verse. Who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, God's love didn't uh, begin on the road to Damascus with Paul, Saul. It didn't start on the road to Damascus or, or, or when we got saved. God's love started from the beginning. Romans 5.3 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God loves you exactly as you are, not as you should be. Because you'll never be as you should be. And if anyone dies for me, do you know what that means? It, it, it means that they're for me. The life I now live, Brian now lives in the flesh. Brian lives by faith in the Son of God who loved Brian and gave himself for Brian. That last little sentence, put your name in there, whatever it is, and say it out loud, I don't care where you're at right now, who loved and gave himself for That'll preach, won't it? Verse 21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is summing it up and saying, I'm not going to nullify grace. I'm not going to void the cross if righteousness was still through the law then what did Jesus die for? If, if we have to keep all the laws, if we have to keep all the rules and keep ourselves ceremonial clean and not eat this food or that food or not go to that movie or not drink that or not smoke that or whatever it is, like, then, then what are we doing? If, if, if blank can save me, then Jesus died in vain. And put your little thing in there, whatever that is that you think can save you. If works can save me, then Jesus died in vain. And we can make it bigger too. If Gandhi can save me, then, then Jesus died in vain. If Muhammad can save me, then Jesus died in vain. If anything other than Jesus can save me, then Jesus died in vain. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who comes to the Father except through him? Who? That's right. No one 
comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Even Jesus was asking if there was any other way. God, if there's any other way, can you make it be so? If there's any other way, please make it so. If, if they can just keep doing the works thing, you know, that would be really great because then I wouldn't have to go through with all of this stuff anymore. I wouldn't have to go through with it. We could just keep doing the works thing, uh, keep killing some sheep, whatever. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. He says it in Matthew 26. If you want to, uh, actually, if you want to flip to Mark with me, I'm going to read these verses real quick, but flip to Mark 15. Uh, we're going to end with some scripture, but I want to read what Jesus says, and he does it a couple of more times. Verse 36 of Matthew 26, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, of course it was those three, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Oh man, there's so much we could say in that. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So again, if anything else can save us, then Jesus died in vain. Paul saying that to Peter, if there was any other way, Peter, you were there. If there was any other way, Pete, then why did Jesus do what he did? If there was any other way. The truth is that Jesus satisfies all. Because of what he did. Now this would typically be the time where I would uh, sum up the gospel, sum up what Jesus did for us. And, and, and I just felt like this week, you know, I don't think I need to sum it up. We sum it up enough. I want to hear straight from scripture what Jesus did. And so with the couple minutes we have left, which we don't really have any, but I'm going to say we have a couple minutes left. We're going to meet, read through the crucifixion story to remind us of what Jesus did. And maybe not remind us, but tell us for the very first time what Jesus did. And as we're reading through this, try to remember that we have been crucified with Christ. And why? Why do we keep holding on to these things that we're holding on to? Why are we putting so many other things above Jesus Christ? I think it would be helpful if we read the crucifixion story and the resurrection story daily <laughs> to keep it at the forefront. That's right. This is what Jesus did for me. And if anybody did something for me, if he's going to die for me, that means that Jesus is for me. So as we read through this, um, if you want to spend some time in prayer, if you need to accept Jesus as your Savior for the very first time and only time, then, then we encourage you to do that. Just say, Jesus, I understand what you did for me on the cross, and I am so thankful. I give you my life. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus today. Consider those things as we read. Mark 15, starting in verse 16. 
and the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on him and they began to salute him hail king of the jews and they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him and when they had mocked him. They stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. I'm going to turn over to John 19.30. There's one more verse here that he, that wasn't included in Mark. And I want to end with this. John 19 verse 30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus satisfies all. If anything else can save us, then Jesus went through all of that in vain for no reason whatsoever. When he exclaimed, it is finished, that was a term that was used often in that time. It, 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 was, a, it was a word called tetelestai. Some of you have heard this before, but tetelestai is again that perfect tense. 
means a couple of things. Number one, it means that the work is completed. People would say it when they got done with the work day. Tetelestai, the work day is done. When Jesus uttered that word, tetelestai, from the cross, the moment before he passed away, what he's saying is the work that I came here to do has now been accomplished. He didn't say, I am finished. He didn't say, I am done. He said, it is done. And it's a perfect tense word, meaning it is finished in the past, in the present, and in the future. It means that all my sins, past, present, and future, are covered under the cross. Because Jesus is enough for us. Jesus satisfies all. And we will not be a church of Jesus and legalism, of Jesus and our own lifestyle, of Jesus and ourselves, of Jesus and anything else. It's going to be Jesus and Jesus alone. So will you come to him this morning or evening or afternoon and accept that free gift of salvation? And if you've already done that, are you continually living in that? Or are, are you trying to put up the sails on your own? Saying, thanks for the work to get us out here. We can take it from here. We need to be continually going back to the gospel. We need to continually going back to the sacrifice Jesus made for us. And we encourage you to live out your week in that way. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the love you have for us for your grace and for your mercy. God, I pray that for anyone listening or watching this, God, that they would hear the gospel, your words, not mine. God, and we would devote our lives to you. That's in your name, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.